0: All right, Uh, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, I want to share a Christmas message with you that I'm calling the King of Kings. And we know Jesus is the King of Kings, but I want to show you some kings that came to worship him and a king that didn't want to worship him. (laughs) And then we're going to talk about the true king that was born at Christmas, all right? So here's the first group we're going to talk about, the joyous kings. This is point number one. The joyous kings, and we're talking about the wise men, all right? Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, you've got Jesus there, the king. In the days of Herod, the king, so there's uh, an earthly king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And then look at verse 2, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And then we'll come back to this in-between part uh, in a moment, uh, The in-between verses. Look down at verse 9. When they heard the king, that's the wise men, they departed, and behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them. I want you to remember the word went, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Notice the words young child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come into the house, not the stable or the barn, the house, they saw the young child, not the baby, the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, I'm going to talk about that phrase in a moment, they presented gifts to him, gold to represent royalty, frankincense, divinity, and myrrh, humanity. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, just to help us come up to speed on this, uh, you you've might all seen the nativity scene, you might have a nativity scene. I love nativity scenes. I'm not saying anything bad about nativity scenes at all. Matter of fact, my personal opinion is we should put them on all government property. Uh, so I love nativity scenes, okay? But uh, the wise men were not there. Now you can keep them in your nativity scene, that's fine. But they weren't at the, the manger, just so you know. Uh, they were from Persia. They traveled about a thousand miles to get there. It was about a six to nine month journey. And it says very, very clearly when they came into the house, they saw the young child. It says young child nine times in seven verses, nine times in seven verses, young child. So he's uh, under two years old. We know that because we know that what Herod did. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but they come in to worship Jesus. They were magi. Magos is in the Greek referring to one. Magi referring to more, two or more. Um, but how did they know? Well, they didn't have Jewish scriptures. But what they had was a lot of people realized that Balaam, if you remember Balak, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, Balak, the king of Moab, Decided to curse Israel. So he hires Balaam, who gives four prophecies a blessing. Each time Balak thinks he'll change his prophecy and curse him, but he can't because God speaks to him. And the fourth prophecy, he prophesies that the Messiah will come out of Judah with a, with a star. A star will herald his birth. So the Magi, what you don't know about Balaam is Balaam started the Magi. There in, in Daniel, by the way, in Persia, so that's, there were magicians there. Magi is where we get the word magician. Um, they were um, all through Scripture, the Old Testament, you'll see the Magi. They were started, the father of the Magi was Balaam. So how did they know? They had Balaam's prophecy. They had Balaam talking about this people whose God was the true God and that a Messiah would come who would rule the whole world and a star would herald his birth. Now, I think that there's, uh, there's evidence that the planets lined up at that time, that could be the star. It could have also been a host, the heavenly host that showed up at his birth. Because you're not talking about just one angel now, but a heavenly host. It could have been that. Angels are referred to as stars in the book of Revelation. Jesus is called the bright morning star. So we really don't know. But there is a little bit of um, uh, significance that we could give to this in that when they did come after meeting with Herod, it said they came out and the star went before them. Now, you need to think about this because stars don't went, (laughs) they don't went. You don't follow stars, but that says they followed the star until it came and stood over the house where the young child was. Stars don't stand over houses either. So it could have been an angel at that point leading them for sure, but we don't know what they saw at first. But when they saw the star, they started this journey. They go to Jerusalem, which is the capital city, so that's where they think the king of the Jews will be. And they tell him then, oh, no, he's not here and they get out Micah 5 2, And they say he's, he'll, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And so that's why they go to Bethlehem. But here's what I want, really wanted you to notice about these uh, wise men. I call them joyous kings. Is the joy that they had. It, it didn't just say they rejoiced. And it didn't just say they rejoiced with joy. It, said, it didn't just say they rejoiced with great joy. It said they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now... Personally, I rejoice with exceedingly great joy when Jason Witten catches a touchdown pass. And Debbie rejoices with exceedingly great joy when Nordstrom's has a 50% off sale. But we both rejoice with exceedingly great joy when we come to church at Christmas especially. And that's when we should really rejoice. It's okay to rejoice over other things, but let's rejoice. And what's amazing to me is how we can rejoice over other things and not rejoice with exceeding the great joy. And, and these were not unintelligent men. These were not socially unacceptable men. These were the wealthy intelligentsia of the day. And these men fell down. This, these words fell down. Two words in English, one word in the Greek. It means to, to throw down violently, violently to shatter, to be broken in pieces and to shatter. Be like if I took a a, a fragile vase and threw it down in front of you and just shattered it into pieces. That's what the word fell down means. In other words, they were not ashamed to express their worship to a toddler. To a toddler. So they worshiped exuberantly and then they gave extravagantly. I almost thought when I got in this message, I thought, I might just preach the two keys to joy. (laughs) Worship exuberantly and give extravagantly. And, And many of you don't realize they gave more than you think. They gave more than they were planning to give. Because they said they opened their treasures. Okay, so when they traveled, they'd have a treasury. And they had someone in charge of that, and that was their travel expenses. Not just to get there, and not just while they were there, but to get back home. So they had planned to give some gifts. And when they got in there and realized they were in the presence of the Savior of the world, one of the wise men said, uh, open the treasury. And I'm sure the servant said, but but that's how we're going to get back home. Shut up. Get the treasury. Get it all. Get all the gold that we brought. Get it all. Now, here's the main thing I want you to notice about this. Before they worshiped and gave. Worshiped and gave. Extravagantly. Before they had to go to other people to find out what the Bible said. Remember, they came and said, Where is he? Where is he? They didn't know. And they had to get the Bible out, and someone else had to explain to them, Well, the Bible says in Bethlehem. Okay. Before they worshiped and gave extravagantly, they had to go to other people to find out what the Bible said. After they worshiped and gave, God spoke directly to them. Then, being divinely warned in a dream, they departed a different way. You want God to speak to you? Be an extravagant worshiper and extravagant giver. You want to have joy? Be an extravagant worshiper and an extravagant giver. Sometimes I wish we were so sophisticated today, and these men were sophisticated, but they they worshiped. I I just, sometimes I wish we'd just let ourselves go more, you know? We let ourselves go with a touchdown, and there's nothing wrong with that, but why not in church, you know? Just let yourself go sometime. Matter of fact... You know what? Let's just do something. Let's encourage one another. The Bible says encourage one another. Read the one another's, by the way. Encourage one another, greet one another, you know, love one another all through the New Testament. But I'm going to, we're going to encourage one another. Turn to the person beside you and say, for God's sake, let yourself go. <laughs> <laughs> and I really meant for God's sake. <laughs> Not as a cute expression, but for God's sake. So those are the joyous kings. Here's number two, the jealous king. The jealous king. This is the spirit that fights against joy. If you're jealous, let me say it another way, if you're selfish, you'll never have joy. So here's the jealous king, obviously Herod. Back in Matthew 2, verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. There's another instance of the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Also, obviously, that was a lie. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the children who were in Bethlehem, the male children, In all his districts from two years old and under, according to time which he determined from the wise men. Now, um, horrible atrocity, but just so you know, it was probably less than two dozen. Now, it's still an atrocity, but we we see movies and we might think it was a couple of hundred babies that were put to death. It was, according to history, uh, and that time, the population of Bethlehem and even the guests that were there to register, it would have been less than 24, okay? But... Uh, and by the way, uh, on the day Herod did that, he got a disease and died five days later. Uh, Herod is not fictitious. You need to know that. He's not like the Scrooge or the Grinch or something like that. He was real. Herod the Great. There are six Herods in the Bible. So a lot of people get this confused. Herod the Great, uh, Herod Antipas, uh, Herod um, uh, Philip, uh, Herod Agrippa One, Herod Agrippa Two. And Herod, what's that other one, Archelaus. Um, and the re- one of the things, now some people say, what about Herod the Tetrarch? That's Herod Antipas. Uh, but the Tetrarch means fourth. It just means a fourth. Herod, the ruler over a fourth. So when Herod the Great died, now remember five days before he died, he killed the children. He also killed his son, who was, everyone knew would be the greatest leader that had this great li- gift of leadership to step in behind him. He killed him five days before he died as well, had him executed. Because it was already going around Jerusalem, Herod the Great, and his son will be the greater. And he couldn't take that. So his kingdom was divided. Archelaus was the rightful uh, heir then. He got half of it. Antipas got a fourth, and Philip got a fourth. And so Antipas, when it says, we're referring to Herod Antipas one time, it says Herod the Tetrarch, just means over a fourth, okay? So there are six Herods in in the Bible. Uh, Agrippa II is the one that Paul uh, stood before. So this is a ruthless, selfish man. Um, The reason he's called Herod the Great is because he named himself that. But he did do some things. He built some things you can see to this day. He built three things. He built more than that, but he built three that you can actually see today, uh, he built Caesarea, uh, which is a port city about 80 miles north of Tel Aviv, and I've been there several times. You can see that to this day. He named it after Caesar, again, because he's trying to manipulate and get favor with those over him. He also built Masada, which is a very famous desert spa. You can see that to this day. And he built, which a lot of people don't realize this, he built the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, where the Jews prayed. Herod the Great built that. And what it actually is, is a retaining wall. He was expanding the Temple Mount and built that wall, and now they stand and pray there because they're not allowed on the Temple Mount. So that's why they pray there. So that's the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall that we call it. So Herod built those things. But here's what you got to know. He married um, a Jewish woman named Miriam, uh, same, uh, same name as the mother of Jesus. We call her Mary, but her Hebrew name was Miriam. But he obviously didn't marry her, but he married a woman with the same name, Miriam. Uh, but he killed, exiled or killed, all of his wives. Exiled them when he was younger, killed them when he was older. And he, even Miriam, his favorite wife. And it's kind of um, strange the way history records it because it says he killed his favorite wife, although he regretted it later. Oh, that's so sweet, isn't it? <laughs> so sweet, he regretted killing her. I really liked her. I really regretted killing her. So he's crazy. But why is he crazy? Because he won't give up power. Because he won't give up control. Because he has to control everybody around him. This will drive you crazy. He killed many servants. uh, One time in specific when they were whispering about dinner because they didn't want to disturb him. He thought they were talking about him. So he killed his servants. Please hear me, Herod was on a search and destroy mission because he wanted to kill the king of the Jews. Matter of fact, he went to the Roman Senate in 40 BC and petitioned and got the title officially the king of the Jews. That's why he built the, the, the wall, the expanding the temple mount because he's always trying to manipulate and get favor with those under him and built Caesarea for Caesar to get favor with those over him. Now, please hear me. What will attack joy more than anything in your life is you staying in control. You will never have joy until you give up control. And that's what Herod represents to us, and that's what the wise men represent. Because they fell down and worshiped Jesus with all of their wealth and with all of their influence, and Herod wouldn't do it. So we've got the joyous kings, we've got the jealous king, and then the last one is the most important, obviously, the just king. The one who was truly justified to be the king. The just king, Jesus. Now, I'm going to read you the Christmas story out of Luke. Uh, some of you might not know, though, that uh, radio was invented and, and it was just Morse code. M-O-R-S-E, not M-O-R-R-I-S. The, um, we, we didn't have any code, our ancestors. We only knew the word sandwich. So, But other than that... But Morse code has the language. Okay, so, um, but that's all that you could transmit over radio was code. Beep, 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 beep. And as it went on, inventor after inventor began to work on it. Finally, they invented the vacuum tube and the radio spark transmitter or something like this. But finally, they felt like they could do voice. And so the very first words that were ever spoken over the airways in the world were on Christmas Eve 1906, and it was the Christmas story out of Luke 2. And these ships out at sea had a box called a radio that all they ever heard on that box was dee 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 And on Christmas Eve, they heard words coming out of that box. Now, some of them might have wondered where the words were coming from, but it was the Christmas story. So this man reads over the airways for the first time this story, Luke 2, verse 8. in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Now I want to show you the contrast of the Herodian spirit here. The Herodian spirit won't let you give up control. Won't let you ever uh, uh, stop manipulating. You always have to. You're always frantic and stressed out about trying to control everything and everybody around you. Here's the opposite of that: the Creator and Sustainer of the Universe, the Omnipotent, All-Powerful, All-Knowing, Omniscient God of All the King of kings and the Lord of lords comes to earth as a helpless, vulnerable baby. He is completely dependent upon his creation for life. He has to be nourished to stay alive. He has to be carried everywhere he goes. He gives up all control. Philippians 2 says he laid it all down. He laid it all down. He comes as a baby. As a baby. Think about that. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Listen, if you want joy, you're going to have to quit fighting. (laughs) You're going to have to quit manipulating. You're going to have to quit trying to control things around you and people around you. Joy only comes when you give up. Only comes, Jesus said, listen, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you'll lose it for my sake, you'll find it. And Jesus comes in direct contrast to the Herod spirit. and says, no, the way you find life is you lose it. So he comes in this world as a baby. And then it says this, this line, I love it. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, swaddling. It's a great word, isn't it? Swaddling. The only thing is that I like that the Bible put these words in, it's kind of like manger. You know, we think manger means barn. It doesn't, it means feed trough. Feed trough. I like the word manger a lot better for the story, you know? I like the word swaddling. You know what swaddling means? Strips. It's so much you find the babes wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. It's so much better for Christmas, you know, pageants all over the world than you'll find the babe wrapped in strips of cloth lying in a feed trough. <laughs> so I'm personally, I'm glad that he chose these words for us. But strips of cloth, where'd they get the strips of cloth? Well, Jewish couples, Jewish people carried strips of cloth with them on every trip it was unlawful for them to touch a dead body. Many, many times on the road, there'd be someone that had been attacked and robbed and murdered, and they couldn't touch a dead body. So they would carry clean strips of cloth with them to be able to wrap up the dead body, take it into the town so it could be buried properly, but they wouldn't have to touch it then. That's one reason. Second reason is pregnant women carried strips of cloth. Because it wasn't unusual for a baby not to make it through the birthing process or for the mother not to make it through the birthing process. Now think about this. Mary knows she's going to deliver in Bethlehem. This is where Rachel died during childbirth. Rachel's tomb is still there today. You can go to Bethlehem today and see Rachel's tomb. So she knows she's going to Bethlehem and she's carrying the savior of the world. Surely it was in the back of her mind. This may be all I do for God. This may be it. I may not make it through. I might be like Rachel and die in childbirth. So they're carrying strips of cloth. So let me give you another word for strips. Burial cloths. You will find the babe wrapped In burial cloths, how appropriate, how symbolic. Because the Bible tells us that he was born to die. Revelation says it this way. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Romans, he was born to die for our sins. So he was wrapped from the very moment he came into this world. He was wrapped in burial cloths. He had a purpose. He knew what it was. You know what his purpose was? To lay his life down for us. Do you know what my purpose is? To lay my life down for others. You know what your purpose is? To lay your life down for others. It's the only way you're going to experience joy. Please hear me. Christmas is a joyful time. It's a joyous occasion. But many people don't experience joy. And I've got this one burden that the Lord gave me. If you keep trying to hold on, if you try to stay in control, it's the spirit of Herod, not the spirit of the wise men. And it's definitely not the spirit of Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I could tell as I got into this message that it wasn't just on joy, it was going to be kind of strong, and I knew it'd be strong. but I know that some of you really need to hear this because you have got to be in control. You've got to hold on. You've got to control yourself. You've got to control your family. You've got to control your friends, people around you. You've got to always be in control. And there's nothing wrong with living a disciplined life or a principled life but if you really want to experience joy, at some point, you're going to have to give up control to the God of the universe that was born 2,000 years ago. Otherwise, you will never experience the joy that you could, that the wise men experienced exceedingly great joy. And so we're gonna pray with you if you need any type of prayer, but I am i know I'm speaking to every person in the church because we battle this. You know, we get the victory and then we battle it again. And then we get the victory and then we battle it again. So I, I'm asking every person right now to just tell the Lord, Lord, I give up. I want to give up to you. You're all-knowing, you're all-powerful, you're all-loving, I can trust you. And I want to experience the joy that I was born to experience. So I just take this Christmas season and just give up again to you.